Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Hello, 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 hello. A little bit of business. Uh, If you are out and about in the Nashville area, I'm performing on October 19th at 8 o'clock, I believe. Yep, 8 o'clock p.m. at Alley Taps in Printer's Alley. I will be doing a songwriter round with my friends Sam Brooker and Megan Linville. So that'll be big time, a lot of fun. And please, if you would, go download from iTunes, subscribe, review. Uh, Please uh, let me know what you think. And when you subscribe, and when you review it as well, it goes up in the in the statistics, not statistics, the metrics, I guess, metrics. What do I know of metrics? I'm an American, for goodness sakes. We didn't do the metric thing. Are we the only ones? Oh, America, so lonely. Anyway, go to the website, heyhumanpodcast.com. I put up tons of links and talk about interesting humans and all that good stuff. It's all out there. It's all good. Uh, I think it's interesting. Hopefully you do too. This episode of Hey Human, I'm very excited to have for you guys to listen to. It is with William Puckett, who is a retired meteorologist and a current UFO researcher. Super duper cool. We had a great conversation. He told stories about different UFO sightings. Uh, his own research. It was it's just cool, man. I, I dig it. I love me some aliens. So, aliens. That's what matters. UFO researcher William Puckett on Hey Human Podcast. Enjoy. Hello. Hey, hi. How are you? Well, not too bad. Uh, how about you? I'm doing well, thank you. You're yeah. in Montana, right? I am. How's Montana? In, in Helena, Montana. In Helena? That's where you are? Yeah. Yeah, the capital city of Montana. Good fishing. Yeah, you know, I used to fish a lot, but uh, I I kind of got out of that. So. You did? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, t- I'm too busy chasing UFOs. <laughs> well, I'm so excited. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you about it. Yeah. Now, you... Uh, are you from the Seattle area originally, or what? Yeah, I'm from Seattle originally. That's correct. I've lived in Nashville ten years. Oh, what do you do there? I'm a professional songwriter, and I'm a painter, and I do a couple podcasts. Wow, well, that's a pretty good uh, uh, bio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do a little bit of a lot. <laughs> yeah, my brother travels to Nashville on business from time to time. He works for a company called Maximus, so... Okay, what do they do? They develop software for the uh, federal Medicaid system. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, he he makes a lot of money. I never made much money, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not everything, so... No, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, let's get started. I read about you online, and uh, it, it actually... I, I tell the backstory here for, for the listeners that... Uh, I was in Seattle uh, visiting my family, and I had taken some photographs in the sky, and when I went back to look at the pictures, there was a strange light, an orb that was in the pictures that 
seem to be in a pattern different from what a normal pattern of something in the sky would be. And I thought, oh, I'm going to send this to someone who might know what this is. And I found you online. That's how I discovered you. And I had posted the pictures on my Facebook page and people pretty much immediately said, that's just a weird quirk of the light that iPhones make, which was highly disappointing. I was hoping to meet some aliens and go back to wherever I was actually from. But, (laughs) oh well. (laughs) So tell me about you. You are a meteorologist was your career path, correct? Yes, uh, I'm a retired meteorologist. probably in title only because I still I still do weather. I'm a volunteer weather observer. I also have a first class weather station and a uh, and a webcam that looks at weather and also looks for UFOs. I actually got four of them, but one of them pulls up to the weather underground site and I collect rainfall data, uh, solar radiation, ultraviolet radiation, temperature, pressure, uh, wind speed, and wind direction. And do you report that back to the news agency? or It, it, go, it goes up into Weather Underground's uh, website. Oh, okay. And if people have the app on their iPhone, if they're close to my area, then my site will pop up on their iPhone or their cell phone. And it's called Weather Underground? Yeah, Weather Underground. Oh. They, they're non-profit. They're owned by IBM. But they do, uh, you know, they collect weather data all over the world. And I use it a lot for my UFO research. How so? Well, for example, I'm working on a case right now uh, of a sighting in uh, the Portland, Oregon area, Sherwood Canby, which is south of Portland, of a a video and photos taken of a... Uh, kind of a white UFO that sat there for three or four hours, and I'm looking at the winds aloft data to see how the object drifted. I'm also looking at Doppler radar data, weather radar data, which is kind of hard to explain to your listeners, but the, the weather radar runs in what we call clear air mode and precipitation mode. When it's in clear air mode, the operator turns the gain up so it detects more... Um, more information in the atmosphere, and it'll pick up particulates, birds, insects. Anyhow, I was able to determine from the Doppler radar that the that the, the everything was flowing to the southeast, which is where the object was going. So, in answer to your question, I'm looking at weather data to see, make a deduction of whether or not this particular object was moving with the wind. If I can prove it wasn't then I can deduce that it probably wasn't a balloon or other flotation device. If it was, it means it may have been a balloon or flotation device. So that's an example. Another example would be to look at cloud heights. Uh, Say, for example, your light you saw in Seattle. Let's just use that as an example. Well, perhaps it was a cloudy night. Well, if the cloud bases were 5,000 feet, then I know this thing was at least no higher than 5,000 feet. So you can then you can do some angular determinations, and then you can make some deductions how big the object was. So you just sort of get into this data loop, and but weather is a very important component of that. It's interesting. What what brought you from 
what was the logical step of going from meteorologist person who clearly was always looking up <laughs> to right. to becoming interested in uh, unidentified flying objects? Well, I've been a meteorologist ever since I got my advanced degree, master's degree in 1973. And I I first became interested in UFOs in the when I took a job at the National Weather Service in Alaska, Juneau, Alaska, as a weather forecaster. And at that time, Air Force just released their Project Blue Book report. The, you know, Project Blue Book went from 1947 to 1969. It was the only official, and I use that word emphatically, government investigation of UFOs. Terminated in 1969. So then you're looking at a few years later, some books are written. So I read Project Blue Book. Well, there was 11,000 sightings. Nearly 800 were unidentified. Well, I said, well, that's quite a few. So I got interested then. And then the Roswell incident sort of made its way into the news around 1980. I read a book on that. Of course, since then, there's been dozens of books written. And then in the 1980s, a lot of documentaries are coming out in UFOs. I said, well, I wonder if I can research that. So in the late 1990s, I started doing my own research. I bought my website up, which is UFOs Northwest. I urge your listeners to go to that site, www.ufosnw.com. If they see something like you did, report it to me. I'll research it. So that's kind of a bird's eye view of my interest. Um, you know, I... I did get some interesting cases early on. One was a, a copy of the alleged Majestic 12 documents, which is the, the committee allegedly approved by Harry Truman, appointed by Harry Truman to investigate UFOs. And I had some documents I thought may have been the originals. Unfortunately, the researcher I was working with lost them, which was very frustrating. And then I had some photos from a, a co-worker of her uncle who had had been deceased for some 25 years that we thought may have been alien beings. And I'd, I'd researched that in detail. It turns out they were hydrocephalic uh, babies, uh, un, unshunted hydrocephalic babies. Can you explain and what that means? Hydrocephalus is, is a disease where they, the fluid builds up in the uh, spinal column and if it's not drained it'll cause the head to grow oh interesting and they they have a they have a function called shunting where they they actually tap the neck the spinal column and drain out the fluid so it's generally not a problem for some reason or another that was not done or done in time with these beings and they look like aliens they had no sex organs, um, or they were very atrophied. Uh, they were on gurneys. Um, they were burned severely. Where now? And where did you see this? This is in a book. No, I had the actual slides uh, taken by this. Uh, uh, my coworker's uncle was ex. Uh, he'd been deceased twenty-five years. He was the head of the anatomy department at Temple University for years. Okay. And so he and had access to these... He, he had these photos in a slide box, and when they when they separated out his belongings, 
my co-worker's father, who was his brother, kept these, and then when he died, then my co-worker found these slides. Now, were they humanoids? They were humans that happened to have this genetic malfunction, or...? I don't know if hydrocephalus is genetic or not. I'm not a doctor. I think, to a degree, it is uh, hereditary. Well, well it's interesting you the, said that with the genitalia was not developed either. So, I mean, that's... Well, that, that was pretty strange. Um, you know, the genitalia were very atrophied or, or, or non-existent. And that's never really explained. The hands were malformed. You know, you can go on and on, but I've had several doctors, plastic surgeons... Even Dr. Cyril Weck, who's a very famous, uh, he's on CNN a lot, he wrote a book on Joe Benet Ramsey, forensic pathologist, look at these. He's the first one that told me they were hydrocephalics. I also posed a question to Dr. Weck. I said, have you ever seen anything like that before? He said, no, he hadn't. And Dr. Weck has done a lot of autopsies. The, the strange thing about this case, I believe they were hydrocephalics. But the thing about it is, is in that same slide box, there was a slide of an atomic test on the Nevada test range. I went into the Atomic Energy Commission and on their website, and I found the actual date of the test and the name of the test. It was Project Dog, May of 1952. Now, in 1970, when these slides were taken, those tests were classified. They were not declassified until many, many years after that. So my, what I've determined through talking to other re- UFO researchers like Nick Redfern and some other guys, the, the military in the 1950s would put out corpses in these, uh, close to these nuclear bombs and look at, see what effects sure. nuclear radiation would have. It could have been that, how, and he got these slides, why he had them. Sure. Well, there are corpse farms that are used now. I mean, that's that's how um, science figures out what happens to us when we die, how the elements affects bodies. Yeah. The FBI uses that data to determine how long bodies have been out in the elements and things like that. So I read a really interesting book about a corpse farm. Um, I wouldn't want to work there. <laughs> I bet it's quite no, silly. It's not very stimulating work, uh, you know, not, not, not really conducive to a good night's sleep you know well it wasn't even that so much as the detail of the book was that i this is the first time i've ever read a book that nearly made me vomit which it well that's impressive on the writer's side right. <laughs> anyway. well those are those are a couple of cases that i got my feet wet in the ufo field and then and then in 2003 i bought up my site and i used to get probably three or four reports a day wow. i do not anymore because there's just so many civilian groups including mufon national ufo reporting center and people collecting ufo reports that it's fairly competitive to get reports but i get enough reports that keep me busy and certainly um you know once in a while i do come across something that's quite interesting and worthy of uh more in-depth uh, analyses. I read so. that one of the first sightings of a UFO uh, dated back to the 1890s, at least as far as writing it down or talking about it. Um, uh, I don't know whether it was in the United States or in Europe, but I mean, that was definitely before things like Photoshop could fake it. So 
Have you yourself what? seen a UFO? You're, you? I, I have to truthfully say I have never sighted one. I have found them on my security cameras. I've One time I was doing a UFO uh, field investigation in Seattle and I I had a habit of shooting pictures from the the site in the each of the cardinal directions. When I went home and looked at the photo, I found a boomerang object in the background. This would have been over probably, I don't know, Bellevue, Issaquah, that particular area in the Seattle area. Uh, I don't know what that was. Uh, it could have been a flotation device. Here in Montana, I photographed one with my security cameras uh, that I thought was kind of strange. I I got radar data from the FAA that found a couple of blips, radar blips, uh, right in the area when I saw the object. Is it a UFO? I don't know. Can't explain it. Could have been something else. But no, I have never seen one. But I, you know, I'm kind of my my own worst skeptic. I mean, I'm I'm fairly incredulous when it comes to seeing something. I mean, I, I really am. I would prefer my researchers to be skeptics, though, because that way you're not destroying the evidence with your own mind. <laughs> right. However, I, thinking. I, I will say that I'm somewhat gullible, too. I mean, I I do look at information, and, and I get pretty excited sometimes about photos and videos and radar data and and even eyewitness reports. I mean, you know, the sky's almost the limit in in in, <laughs> we're, in terms of weirdness. Uh, you know, of the reports that I've received, the very very strange encounters that some people have. Yes, some of I my mean, friends just one that, as well. Uh, yeah, Alaska, just, I think Alaska is a good hotbed. And I mean, I'm when I was walking my dog one night here in Nashville. He's he's since passed away, but this was probably two years ago. And it was about 11 o'clock at night, and I was walking him up on this hill. It was quite dark out. And I looked up, and there were three lights in the sky that were quite bright. And I thought, what are those planets? And then I, as I looked and as I watched them, they moved together all at once, to, you know, together in a straight line up and then down. And then they were just vanished. And I thought, well, shooting stars don't go in threes, I don't think. And they certainly don't have that significant of a pattern. I feel like so many people have had experiences where they see something and they think, nah, that, that can't be. But I, mean, I believe that there must be alien life. My gosh, we cannot be the only one, our little tiny blip of an arm. There must be. And Lord knows they've got to be smarter than us. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, I get excited when I when I hear people talk about it or see people. As I was joking at the beginning of this, and you know, I'm just waiting for them to come back and say, "Oh, sorry, we left you behind. Come on." You know. Well, actually, you know, look, look, just your sighting that you just uh, outlined. I mean, I I can't explain that. I mean, it, it's obviously not a meteor because it. It, it moved in, you know, some abrupt changes in direction. Yes. It's not satellites. Yes. There are triad satellites that the military flies, but they're not going to be changing direction. 
So, you know, what did you see? I mean, it's hard to say. And they perhaps it could have Perhaps it could have been reflections of light from the ground, although normally I would only expect to see that on a cloudy night or the... Uh, because the light needs to have a background to refract the uh, photons. And you need, of course, a cloud is, will refract photons. But normally the atmosphere doesn't do that unless there's fairly steep, what we call temperature inversion, density, and then sometimes. But, you know, I mean, it it, it, cause you, it leaves you scratching your head with cases like that. So let's talk about Roswell for a second. Has that all been declassified? Is that now... All out in the open. Well, uh, the truth the truth about Roswell is nothing's been declassified because nothing's been admitted. Uh, from the government standpoint, Roswell never happened. Really? I mean, there has never been any uh, information from the federal government at all related to Roswell. Nothing. Zero. Everything about Roswell has come from witnesses, from newspaper articles, really? from military people that were there. But as far as an official government document, there is nothing on Roswell. I think that's now, very Congress, odd. Congressman Stephen Schiff, who is since deceased, who was district congressman from that representing uh, Roswell was included in his district, uh, requested when he was congressman a government accounting office to do an audit of all records with Roswell and all federal agencies that could have had records. They came back and said they had nothing and that there were records that had been destroyed, perhaps related to Roswell. Now, I say that there was one document, and I'm trying to remember what it was, that was recovered from a government archive that was related to Roswell. But a lot of the skeptics claim it was planted there by a UFO researcher, that it never came so out of the government archive. So from my standpoint, I have never seen anything released on Roswell. The only thing I'll say about government documents. When I when I worked for the History Channel uh, on the UFO Hunter series, I, I did research for them. I was on a couple of episodes also, but most of the my work was research on projects, one of which was Roswell. And I, I requested weather data for, for uh, Roswell Army Airfield uh, in July 1947. And I got it. So those are records. Those are government records, not related to the UFO. The interesting aspect of that is I believe it was on July 8th or 9th when allegedly the debris was flown from Roswell Army Airfield to Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth. On that date, the weather observer was gone. Gone. Now keep in mind, this is the rainy season. Severe thunderstorms pop up in southeastern New Mexico in July. This is the only military base in the world of the time had nuclear weapons. B-29 bombers, they had 12 nuclear weapons in Roswell at the time that the spacecraft allegedly was recovered. So why was the observer gone? 
Now, I took that information at the time because Dr. Jesse Marcel Jr. lived in Helena. He handled the debris as an 11-year-old. I taught, I had a lunch with Dr. Marcel. He just, he died here a couple of years ago. I gave him that data, and he was kind of impressed with it. He also added, Dr. Marcel, that the, the, the debris that was photographed at Carswell Air Force Base, the balloon, the balloon envelope was sitting on the floor. The balloon envelope is an envelope that they, the balloon is stored in. Why would a balloon envelope be sitting on the floor? The reason it's sitting on the floor is because they got it out of storage. That's why. Yeah. So, Fascinating. That's a long-winded answer to your question, but... Do you think there's a correlation? There's nothing been released, so... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Do, do you think there's a correlation with the fact that there was uh, nuclear uh, devices being stored there and there was a sighting? Yes very well could be the case because UFOs love nuclear bases. Time How do you and mean? Time. Well, they, some of the most compelling sightings have been on nuclear bases. I mean, Roswell, uh, you know, Area 51, uh, Whiteman Air Force Base, Nobnostra, Missouri, had two very good UFO cases. Ellsworth Air Force Base, Rapid City, South Dakota. Minot Air Force Base, Minot, North Dakota. Do you think they need um, fuel? Is that why? No, I think they're they're just looking at... See how far we've come? Sort of auditing our, our nuclear arsenal. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I mean, the, the cases at Whiteman, and I had two cases, one in 1983 and another in 1998 in the middle of the night, and in one case, they, had, they call them igloos. The, their 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 we, their weapon storage facilities. Out of the twenty eagles, two of them stored nuclear weapons. The UFOs were shooting down beams to these two eagles. They knew right where the nuclear weapons were. So wow, you know, interesting. Read between just read between the lines. Of course, Bentwaters, England. That's another very very major case of uh, what happened there. Weapons. Well, that's where. Uh, Sergeant Penniston and 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 Airman Burroughs, you know, saw those lights outside the base, and then they they got Colonel Halt to come with him, and that's when he had that audio tape, and they, you know, uh, they saw these UFOs, and and Sergeant Penniston had walked up to it the night before and touched the darn thing, um, you know, it, they had radiation readings, they had land traces. The whole nine yards. And Sergeant Penniston and Burroughs are very ill right now because of exposure to this UFO. When I when I was in Chicago two years ago, I, I was filming for a Close Encounter series that's on the Discovery Channel. They've canceled that series, but those episodes, I'm sure, are, are available probably on DVT, DVD and probably through YouTube. Um, in other outlets, but anyhow, um, the producer or the director told me that he had talked to Burroughs and Penniston recently, and they were both very ill from this situation. I don't know why they got cancer or what, but they're they're trying to get on disability. What happened but, to the documentation that they took? Is it is it classified? Well, that particular case 
there is very little official government release of records. British Ministry of Defense released some documents, but the actual Bentwaters, even Colonel Halt couldn't get information on it, and he was privy to the sighting. So uh, the interesting thing about Bentwaters, I'm, I'm friends with a guy that helped me out a lot, Dr. Joe Ryan, who lives on the West Coast. And Dr. Ryan was chief scientist for the Air Force and NATO. And his first job, this was as a civilian, was at Bentwaters in the early 80s. Well, after this UFO incident, they shipped all the personnel out of there. And he didn't even know about the case till it aired in a TV documentary. Really? But he saw UFO reports come across his desk from fighter pilots, and they were all set to Langley in Virginia, all the UFO reports. So those are a few. There are many more. Another one, Banger Base in, in, up there in, in uh, northwest Washington, would be able Naval Air Station. Um, uh, th- those are both facilities that house nuclear weapons. I have to say that a lot of my friends who live up in the Northwest, they, they have the most sightings, the, the people I know up there. I get more sightings from Washington and Oregon than any other state. I, I do. I wonder why that is. Good question. I mean, that was the case in the summer of 1947 when Kenneth Arnold, you know, first June 24th, 1947, when he sighted those nine discs over Mount Rainier. Uh, there, there was a lot of research done with newspaper articles, and in the summer of 1947, Washington State per capita by far and large had the most UFO sightings, followed closely by Oregon. And I did a study in the early 2000, 2003, same thing, more and more UFO sightings per capita in Washington State. I don't know why. So you say you're, you try and you tend to just to err on the skeptic side doing your research, which I think is healthy. But do you believe that we have been uh, visited by other be- beings from another place, whether it be dimensional and or planetary? Yes, I believe we have been are being, and you know it's an ongoing thing. There's a couple of several theories about that. I do not think that interstellar travelers are coming in and out of our atmosphere on a regular basis. I believe uh, you, you hit, hit on higher dimensional parallel universe. They could, a lot of them could be that. There could be alien bases on Earth of alien beings that have been here a long time. There's also another theory that bipedal reptoids, which have been seen, I, I got a report recently a one they're seen in remote areas oh i'd love to hear about that maybe, maybe uh when the dinosaurs got killed a lot of reptiles went underground and maybe they evolved to intelligent species another theory is that the nazis may have developed uh flying saucer technology after you know during the war and after the war they got bases in antarctica that's another theory so and it could be all of the above hmm but I do believe that they are here. They're adva- they have very advanced technology systems, and but I can't prove that. I believe it, but I can't prove it. If you could prove it, you probably wouldn't be alive. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I know it's, I always joke with my friends that I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but everything's a conspiracy until it's proven true. And I don't know why it's so out of the realm of possibility to people. You know, if I'm a, an exceptionally intelligent being and I don't want to be seen, I'm not going to be seen. I don't find it to be so surprising, but I also don't think... I th personally, I feel like there's probably more than one, for lack of a better word, race of being. And I know people are going to think I'm a lunatic, but I don't care. Let them. Uh, I also think that there's no way that our, at some point, our government, somebody in our government, some military, somebody, for them to say absolutely emphatically no, and to say that it doesn't exist and all that, it seems pretty ridiculous to me. Especially given all the sightings. Every, there's yeah. so many sightings. It's like saying dogs don't exist. Right. Let me comment on a couple of things you said. You mentioned sightings in the 1800s, and you also mentioned government knowledge. Well, here in Montana, in a town near Bannock, which is, that's an old western town, is actually where Henry Plummer was hanged in the 1800s, uh, an outlaw. But anyhow... Uh, a gentleman that's, uh, he's a retired pilot, a treasure hunter, hunts, does a lot of gold and silver hunting, and there's a lot of mining in Montana, and he likes to go to old abandoned mines and you know, treasure hunt. Well, anyhow, he came across this diary of a stagecoach manager, August 1870, he said a spaceship crash near Bannock. So... We, we researched it. We went down there. It's in a very remote area. It takes an all-terrain vehicle to get in there. Uh, it's infested with rattlesnakes. It's high. It's like near 7,000. I didn't see any rattlesnakes, by the way. But I had a hard time getting my gear in there. But we, we took a lot of measurements and everything. And I didn't find anything compelling other than some magnetic anomalies. But the area looks to be artificial. It looks like it doesn't belong there. Well, the real bottom line in this story is that this pilot, a retired pilot, kept getting these calls from NASA wanting to know, hey, what's going on? We want, we want to know what's in this area. He, would, he ignored them. Finally, one day, a few weeks later, this SUV pulls up by his house with NASA local on the side, four guys get out, men, and they said, you're going to take us up to this craft site. And he said, I'll drive. They said, no, you're riding with us. They spent all day up there. They had all kinds of gear. And finally they left, uh, you know, at the end of the day, and they said, nothing is there. This was a meteor crash. Well, there's no meteor rocks there. Meteor rocks are black. And my take on the whole thing is, number one, they weren't NASA, they were CIA. And number two, we had the phone number that they called, and we, we called that phone number, and it was out of order. And that's a Langley, Virginia phone number. That's where the CIA is located. And they threatened him. And I'd say, well, he's blowing smoke. Well, when, when the agents were there, whoever they were, one of his friends, out-of-town friends, called and, and, and Warren, the name of my contact, passed the phone to one of the agents 
and they told this guy, you stay out of there. And this guy told them to F off. <laughs> and so why they were interested because they did not want civilian people potentially filing, finding an alien spacecraft, potential alien artifacts. They found out about it through the media because it's got some coverage in the local media. Sure. And and they find, they didn't find anything. But what that told me is, yes, they do have a vested interest in UFOs, and this was a case where they might have slipped through their fingers. So they took an interest in it until they didn't find anything. So old case, and number two, a case of... Uh, government interest yeah what is the most compelling ufo sighting that you have uh, researched yourself that you can speak that's to? a that's a difficult question because there's been so many one that stands out to me is a case in dana point california i believe it was march 2007 a guy was walking in the morning, a sunny morning, and he sees this dish-shaped craft flying about jet speed. It stops and hovers. He shoots a photo of it. It zips away and goes into the water near Catalina Island. I've, had, I've analyzed that photo. I've had people do forensic animation of it, forensic study in the local area. That is a very compelling case. A lot of UFOs have been seen in that area going into the water, coming out of the water in Catalina Island. That's a very interesting case. Another point, fast forward nine years, January 2016, Nephi, Utah. The head of the Mutual UFO Network in in, uh, Utah contacted me because I have some expertise in background and analysis of uh, weather and aviation radar. Well, a, uh, a local person, a uh, ham radio operator, who actually has his own UFO show, had his scanner on one night, and he hears this airline pilot talking to the FAA about a UFO sighting, asking him if they had it on radar. He's flying at 31,000 feet near Nephi, Utah sees this huge light on the ground. He asks the FAA, do you have it on radar? Response, no, we do not. And so we, myself, uh, the uh, Erica Lukes, who's the MUFON director, and Pat Daniels, who was the, the uh, ham radio operator that got the data, we kind of looked into this. We found some air traffic control voice tapes online, got a portion of the actual broadcast. We didn't even know the airline. We finally determined it was American Airlines flight that had taken off from San Francisco, was flying en route to Philadelphia. This happened about midnight. So we obtained more of the voice tapes, some of which had been redacted. I have almost direct proof of that. But we found, I found, in an isolated area, all kinds of radar returns, right where this pilot saw this object. And those radar returns, they, they were there for a good half hour, and 
what every rotation of the radar would be one to three returns. They're right in the valley by Nephi, Utah, right where this site object was sighted. So that's one of the more forensic compelling sightings I've ever got. Another case, and I can't remember, this was in the Carolinas. I'd have to look on my site. Um, actually, your, your viewers, if they want to, I'll kind of get sidetracked here in a minute. If they want to find my best sightings, go, go to my, 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 my website. I'm actually going to look here. Yeah, I'll, then, put, I'll put links to all that stuff on my HeyHumanPodcast.com. Right. And then, and then go, go, go to, uh, uh, on my top menu there, and you can see uh, top cases. And, and uh, click on that, and the cases that I filtered that are the most compelling will show up. Uh, I'll specifically mention another case, and and uh, this was in uh, one of the Carolinas. I can't remember uh, the North Carolina or South Carolina. I'd have to I'd have to actually look in detail to, to find it. But um, this particular case, this woman had taken a friend home. And she was driving back. It was only about a 10 or 15-mile trip. And I believe it was probably around midnight, maybe a little bit later. All of a sudden, she her car stops, and it starts shaking, just like someone is shaking her car. And she sees this weird light outside her window. Next thing she remembers, she comes to, her car starts, it's on this road, and her, she, three hours are gone. She guy, drives home and she's just petrified, and her friend, she didn't even go home, she drives to her friend's house. And her friend says, where were you? I was calling you on his cell phone. Her cell phone was right on the seat. Three calls went to voicemail during this time period. They call the police. And the police um, kind of laughed it off as a meteor sighting. And so, case in point, what was it? I mean, she, she was petrified. I interviewed her. My actual voice tape of her interview is on my site. And uh, so that, that particular case stands out. What do you and think is the deal with the lost time that people experience? I really think there's two reasons for that. It could have been a potential abduction, or I, I think actually there's a time and space warp around these UFOs. I think that too. I feel like in order for them to, to for some of them at least, and this is my own theory in my own brain, I am obviously not a physicist, but uh, that you would have to bend time in order for your in order to do what they do, in order to travel where they're traveling to and from, one would imagine they've mastered the art of bending time and tearing through some space. I mean, Einstein theorized it, right? That it is a possibility. He just didn't know how to do it. Right. I had another case also of a, a different type of time dilation, but uh, this was 
actually not too far from Roswell, Vaughn, near the Vaughn, New Mexico area, which is, I don't know whether you've ever been in New Mexico, but if you drive from Albuquerque, a couple times I went down there, I flew to Albuquerque and rented a car, drove to Roswell. You drive through a town called Vaughn. Well, this guy was a, a truck driver, and he was um, uh, trucking used cars. There was a bunch of used cars bought by uh, used car lots of a, a, a rental car auction, Hertz rental car auction in Denver. And a lot of truck drivers drive in the middle of the night for traffic and and also it's a lot cooler, you know, it gets brutally hot in the southwest. And I believe he had dropped three cars off somewhere and he he was on his way to El Paso, Texas. And he he pulled off the side of the road to check his load. And he all of a sudden he kind of feels his hair stand on end, like there's electricity in the air. He had a long flashlight. His flashlight went off. His truck turned off idling. He looks up and there's this huge triangular-shaped object coming from the south right over the top of him, blotting out the stars. And he didn't know what to do. His truck's stalled. Flashlight's dead. So he said what he usually does is he gets in the back of the car, his truck, and backs off one of the cars and go gets help. He goes back there, his car wouldn't start. All of a sudden, the UFO starts retreating, flying in reverse, his, his truck starts, his flashlight comes on, he gets the heck out of there. Next morning in El Paso, they're unloading some cars, and he makes a discovery. The clock in his truck had lost time. The clock in the car's lost. How does he know that? He had a wind-up clock in his sleeper. He looked at that clock. Thirteen minutes were lost. All the clocks, including the clocks in his cars that he backed out, lost 13 minutes. Interesting. So, so another case in point. Yeah. Pine hey, dialing. You know, and it's funny you say, oh, the argument, of course, is that, well, if there was alien life and they were visiting us, of course we would be told, but can you imagine the pandemonium? Religion would be set on its ear if we're supposed to be the only people made in God's image, you know, and suddenly there are other beings out there that would that would mess up some pretty intense religions, doctrines, right? And you, you mentioned that point, and, and that very same concept was deduced by the Rand Corporation in a NASA funded study in 1960 and they they wanted a group of experts sociologists, economists uh, uh, religious you know ministers uh, clergy people to comment on this and even scientists and they said that if extraterrestrial life, was here and that the public knew it, it would cause pandemonium in the financial markets, in religious circles. Yeah, people wouldn't be able and, to handle it, I feel right. like. And yeah. uh, I do believe that today that 
that might change somewhat. Sure. It's getting, I, I have a joke with my friends also that the media tries to lessen the blow of things. You know, they have movies about ghosts and demons and then aliens and contact. And, you know, they're slowly getting people's awareness and openness through the media because people are quite easily manipulated by media, of course. Right. So right. it would Also, make I'll bring up the fact that, that that particular case that I just mentioned was in Gray Court, South Carolina. I bought it up on my website. Gray Court. So yeah. oh, okay. Gray Court, South Carolina. So, so are there if, not... any of your, if any of your viewers or listeners are interested in that case, I, I have an actual tape of the witness uh, the girl interview yeah. on that stuff. Great. So I'll definitely put a link to in, that. Uh, I'll link to all that happened, stuff. Yeah, it happened on May 7th, 2015. So I remember reading something somewhere in the back of my brain pan. I remember that there was an astronaut, some astronaut saw something and had reported it and that actually had video and then the video got staticked out by NASA. Do you know about this? Well, there's been several instances of, of astronauts, you know, talking about UFO sightings and and of course, every all the videos and photos and everything that all that information gathered from the space station or the shuttle or or even missions to the moon, you know that they don't. I mean, they're not going to have a camera with them and just come home and show their camera to their family. I mean, that goes through NASA. And actually, you know, a lot of that NASA information and this gentleman and. It depends on who you talk to. NASA doesn't consider me gentlemen. Um, Gary McClendon, this English guy, he, he, he actually hacked in the Defense Department and NASA websites, and they wanted to lock him up and throw away the key. I think his mother finally got him uh, shielded from that. They wouldn't extradite him because she said that he had mental problems. Well, why Why did they want to come after him? Well, he did hack into government systems, and he found UFO information. I mean, even to the point that NASA was cooperating with non-terrestrial species on this, and he found that in his, when he hacked into the NASA website and also in the Defense Department website. So, yeah. you know, you say, well, yeah, do they know about it? Well... You know, you get a few things like that, and you got to believe that they probably do. Well, there's a lot and of information that they don't release to the public. I have a friend who, um, an, a NASA affiliate, a physicist, and he... Do you remember when they released information about the super-Earths? And they said, oh, we've discovered that there's, you know, these two... I can't remember if they said two or five super-Earths, you know, 100,000 light-years away, yada yada, likely to have inhabitants very much like our own, and if not, that we would be able to live there, the atmosphere is correct and all that. Well, he had called me before that article came out, before the news media received the information. He said, you're never going to guess. He said, what well, we figured, you know, we've seen and we figured out, but they're not going to tell the public about it. They're only going to tell them about a couple of them, but we found at least 20 but they can't say that out loud because, you know, I was like, you shouldn't be talking on an unsecured phone line, buddy. <laughs> but I will keep that to heart. 
And now I'm blabbing it, but I don't care. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned NASA and what will be the official disclosure when it happens. In my opinion, the it'll likely be astronomers that discover extraterrestrial life and it can't be denied. Um, that's under the assumption, met- though. Don't you think that that's under the assumption that they're, that it's an interplanetary thing and not an interdimensional thing? And then what well, is this NASA, will be inter- you know? I mean, they're not, they're not going to see anything interdimensional, but the, I mean, I, I don't have any doubt that there's intelligent life. Uh, I mean, in our galaxy, I mean, I, I, I believe it. I mean, we might even find life in our solar system. Um, maybe not intelligent life, but NASA actually is looking at this star system 1,500 light years away, and they believe they found something like a Dyson sphere because they there's artificial, what they think is artificial infrared light uh, emitting from the star system, and it's too close to the star to be a planet, and they think it's an artificial, what they call a Dyson Sphere. And, and Dyson Sphere is an artificial environment. They can't prove it, but it'll be that type of thing where they can verify uh, incontrovertibly that there's a non-terrestrial intelligent life forms outside our solar system. Well, as soon as so, we find intelligent life forms on this planet, we can handle elsewhere. <laughs> I know. You wonder how intelligent we are, you know. Exactly. We're a hostile species. We well, kill each other. We are right? a very hostile species. So, I mean, if I was an extraterrestrial and I came to this planet, I think I'd take a step back or two because I wouldn't want to end up on a gurney somewhere. And we are right. a very violent species. Very young, yeah. very young, very violent, very... Right. Primal. Well, you know, I, I, you mentioned that a violent species, and I, you mentioned top cases. Well, I had another case. This was in Missouri, uh, right along the Mississippi River between Missouri and Illinois. And this guy calls me one night, and and he, he he's in a remote area, and he said, "You know, there are these green lights. They're over the Mississippi River." And some of his friends in Illinois were seeing them. They called the sheriff, an under-sheriff, across the river, and they were looking at these things. These lights were hovering over the Mississippi River. Finally, the sheriff says, we don't know what these things are. We can't explain them. We're leaving. So these guys get out their shotguns and their rifles. They start shooting at this thing. And they got on boats. And all of a sudden, their boats shut down. This thing gets big, their boat shut down, and then it vanishes. And he calls me back, and he's pushing his boat onto an island. I could hear the water sloshing as he's talking to me on his cell phone. So they shot at him. It let them know, you ain't going to hurt us. We'll fix you. We shut their boats down. It wasn't just one boat. There were four or five. So case in point. Would you want to interact with somebody? Yeah, it's like, like antagonizing a lion in the zoo or something, where, you know, it's a smart enough creature, but. Right. At the end of the day. Have you. I read Whitley Strieber's book, Communion. Uh, I read and, that. Too. Yeah. It scared the bejeebies out of me. <laughs> I thought, my gosh, if there are. I mean, that's. 
that's a whole nother ball of wax. That's starting to get now, of course, into actual alien abduction and, and contact and all that. And not, um, and that's sort of past the realm of UFO. But it is a fascinating read and a fascinating subject for sure. Do you feel like you've had any kind of experience outside of? I've never. No, I never have. I, I talk to people. Matter of fact, one of my good UFO friends on the West Coast is an experiencer, is sort of tuned into this higher dimensional, whatever. You know, I'm not. Um, I've had a couple of paranormal experiences, unrelated to UFOs. Yeah. But not, not not directly related to UFOs. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of my friends who had deceased showed up on my bedside. Oh, about a week later. And I'd say, well, maybe I was hallucinating, but six other people saw her also. So you got feel like, well, maybe she... She came for a visit. She just said goodbye. And yeah. She was in a black dress, and I'd seen her. Uh, she had deceased a, a week or two before that. Yeah. I believe, I lost, I believe in I that lost. stuff, too. I believe in lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I've never had any... Uh, UFO encounters, missing time, or... I've never had the missing time, but I've definitely seen things that I could not explain, which is technically what an unidentified flying object is, of course, is it's unidentifiable, hard to... undetermined. Um, One of my best friends, his father, um, who's from Alaska, when... But I think this might have happened in Washington State. I can't remember. I think it was Washington. They were camping... Uh, his father and his father's friend and they were driving and the car stopped and they lost time and he won't really talk about it he gets very upset if you even bring up the subject so I don't know if he has some slight recollections or what but people they, I mean I know that psychiatrists I've read articles about you know people say oh it's mass hysteria and you know the mind is so easily influenced I do believe that is true for sure the mind is very easily influenced however I think if you take somebody who is here and then you take somebody who is way over there and somebody who's way over there in that country and way over there in that country and they're all having the same experience without any way of connecting the dots then you start to question it seems like something is happening. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, the, these cases of abduction, of course, are are very, very difficult to to investigate because you you just you don't have any environmental data. Um, Mufon was allegedly going to do a study where they had planted cameras and radiation detectors and magnetometers and all this but I never did see any results of that study. You mentioned Alaska and also what I'd like to say to your listeners is that the best UFO sightings are in very remote areas. Uh, perhaps that was in Washington State I don't know but the the best cases that I've ever looked at will happen right in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Forest Service worker southwest of Olympia, Washington had just had coronary bypass surgery one morning. He's out taking a little stroll on a logging road, and this flying disc is hovering about 100 feet ahead of him. 
it, it pulls straight up in the air, something drops out of it, bangles down trees and everything. I investigated this case several years after I actually looked at the actual area where the sighting was and interviewed him, and that was a case. Another case, this happened north of Dallas-Fort Worth on a farm, and this gentleman was, I think his daughter was eight or nine years old. They're driving a tractor on his father-in-law's farm, and the little girl is steering the tractor, and she all of a sudden screams and look up. Big dish-shaped craft comes out of this the, this gully straight up, and so you get cases like that. Yeah, very remote areas. Yeah, yeah I am yeah. curious about the concept of uh, the good and the bad and the, the you know as far as who's who's who we're dealing with. Right. And <laughs> the other joke I make, of course, is that the only way to unify the the planet that is to have a full-on you know that movie independence day where aliens would actually have to attack the only way we're all get along and then about an hour later we'll forget and hate each other again but you know for that one yeah. little tiny frame we, you know we could rise up against the the evil aliens i don't know well I, you know there's a lot of speculation about that if there was an actual full-fledged alien invasion what could we do you know, I mean, they they could blast us out of the sky. Absolutely. Why why would they want to do it? I mean, what resources? But what, then we're, what, the what way we're gain, you know, other yeah, than uh, us perhaps being a interstellar threat eventually, you know. But right now we're we're sort of contained here. I mean, with our with all our nuclear toys and everything. Yeah. And what kind of a threat are we? Yeah, but, we might wipe ourselves out, but I don't know that unless. I mean, if I were an alien being and Earth was my watch, under my watch, I would just make sure that they didn't have the capacity to leave the planet very far because we can't yeah. be trusted. We're too young. Right. You know. Well, I'm very. We'd be I'm way too dangerous. sure they, they, even if they aren't here, I do believe they are. That they know all about us by now. I mean. And they're shaking they, their heads. Right. <laughs> You know, another argument about intelligent life is how long does life last before, you know, either environmental pollution or war or other things extinguish it. I mean, right now, I mean, we're getting at the end of the hour, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a meteorologist and, of course, climate change is one of the biggest threats to this civilization. And we're... We're in we're in a real danger right now of extinguishing life of climate change. I agree, and, and uh, that's only an example. But you know, when we find extraterrestrial life, I mean, it's not question if it's when, and this is officially, they're going to find that they're going to be looking for artificial heat source infrared. That, that's and any any intelligent life out there. Will find us that way too. So yeah, yeah. Anyhow, it's, let's, it's, uh, let's hope it's sooner rather than later. I I'd love to. I, I, that's my every time I go on a first date. That's my first question. If aliens landed and said, "We're gonna take you on this trip. You don't get to come back. All the if when you do come back, everyone would be dead. So you might as well just let go of that idea. Would you go? And for me, I would say, sign me up. I'm gone. How fascinating, what a wonderful experience that would be. 
Could they guarantee my safety? Who knows? Doesn't matter. What an experience. So I always ask that question on the first date. Would you go? Would you not go? I think it says a lot about a person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would concur with that. I I think I would uh, sign up to take the tour or two. (laughs) Yeah, of course. You know, how, how could you not? I was raised on Star Trek. I would, you know, I would have to go. Absolutely. Thank you so much, William, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm going to put links to all the stuff um, that we talked about so, on my website so they can find you and find the information. And, okay. You know, please, please send me, direct me to your website and everything, and I'll take a look. I will, absolutely. absolutely. And I urge your, I urge your listeners to, to visit my site, and if they see something compelling, if they have a photo or video, uh, please send it to me. Absolutely. And I will do the same if I see something again. It's always that thing where you're you're out and you think, oh my God, where's my camera? Where's something? And yep. anymore, I feel like the the alien life are that they're going to have they're gonna have issues with people pulling out their cell phones. Now it's so easy to get footage of things. Yeah, you take a high definition video with an iPhone, so Yeah, except for if your engines are getting shut off, maybe they'll they'll jam. That's it. true, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's uh, that's eliminate you know, not not regarding technical difficulties. Yes, <laughs> well, the truth is out there. Thank you so so very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and, uh, I look forward to visiting you in the future. Yeah, have a wonderful night. Yeah, you too. Okay, bye. bye. bye.